I look at Hugh Freeze's track record with quarterbacks, and it's actually pretty dang good. Hello and welcome in. It's always college football. We hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show, whether that's on the podcast or if you're here with us via the YouTube channel. Please continue to like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out and it helps the show out. I'm Greg McElroy. Along with me, as always, Jack Foster and Mark Kubiak. We so appreciate joining you wherever it is on your journey here throughout the offseason because it's amazing to me. I mean, I'm sitting there walking through. It's, you know, a Sunday. We're walking through Orlando Airport, and I had two or three different people telling me, hey, man, always college football. Hey, we love we love always college football. Two or three different people, seriously. I'm not exaggerating when I said this. I'm saying, well, goodness gracious, you just can't get enough. Like, hey, can't wait to hear more about the Gators, man. You think we got a chance this year? It was wild, man. But super cool to all of you that have been listening in. As you know, college football never ends. Not anymore. Not with the constant news cycle, the transfer portal, the coaches carousel, which continues to spin. And of course, spring football is officially underway for so many teams. And that's what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks. We're not going to necessarily give you a full comprehensive breakdown of some of these rosters, some of these spring competitions, some of these different news and notes of specific teams. We're going to get into that. We have plenty of time. We have lots of time throughout the summer. But one thing that we feel like we could provide, at least at this point, are some bold predictions about some specific teams, which we're going to do. And we're going to give you a little bit of a preview about what I would be prioritizing if I were the head coach of whatever the team is that we're going to talk about today. So today's show is going to include a bunch of big names and a couple of teams that are going to be jumping up from where they were last year to the Power Five. We're going to talk about Michigan. They got started a week ago. We're going to talk about Auburn. They get underway today. We're talking about Houston. They're jumping from the American into the Big 12. Are they ready to make the jump? Kansas, a team that had so much success in the Big 12 last year, Relatively speaking, will they be able to replicate that success? Missouri, and then we're, of course, going to get to Vandy as well. So those are the teams that we're going to focus in on today. The good news is if your team is not listed, you can come back on Wednesday and we might be talking about them then. A good little bit of an indicator, by the way, as to when your team's going to get featured here on Always College Football, just check and look and see when you start spring practice, because there might be some chronological overlap depending on the day. So just keep in mind, if we haven't gotten to you, we will. It's only a matter of time because a lot of these teams are getting underway here in the next couple of weeks. So let's not waste any time. Let's get into some spring football previews and let's make a bold prediction or two about some of these teams. All right, the Michigan Wolverines are first up. When it comes to our spring preview, they started things on February 20th. So they're just a couple practices in. And Blake Corum, in case you're wondering, he's out the entire spring. He's got knee rehab, of course. But these are a lot of things that you need to be looking for if you're Michigan. few things that would be top of mind if I'm Jim Harbaugh. One, how much more can I get out of J.J. McCarthy? We know that last year he took a pretty significant step from game one or technically game two when he officially became the starter until the very end. I thought he formed 
adequately. I mean, you look at the numbers, 65% completion, 22 touchdowns against just five interceptions, top 25 marks as far as passer efficiency and yards per attempt, which yards per attempt with their offense should be significant. And of course, passer efficiency, that's got to be significant if you're going to complement the run game. I think what's more important as well is just how well he played on the road and obviously a remarkably hostile environment, his first opportunity to play in the game. The bigger the stage, the better he played. I also think you look at kind of everything. I mean, he played pretty well against TCU in the semifinal game. So where does he go from there? How much more can they put on his shoulders without totally abandoning who they are? You know Michigan's going to continue to run the football. You know they're going to continue to pound you at the line of scrimmage. You know they're going to continue to play at a high level defensively. You don't want to change who you are in an effort to better set yourself up for future success because you've already had a ton of success. But do feel like as McCarthy continues to grow, the sky's the limit for how much he can potentially handle. And it could be very exciting to see whether or not he utilizes his legs a little bit more, maybe a little bit more of the intermediate passing game. And if they get into more of a drop back as opposed to play action centric style of attack, it'll be interesting if he can handle that. I would think that they probably can. Let's move next to the defensive side of the football where we got to acknowledge a couple of elephants in the room. Seventh last year in scoring defense. Seventh in defense against the run. Sixth in total defense. But one stat that wasn't quite as good as some of the others, they were 19th in sacks. You're going to sit here and say 19th, that's pretty good. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. But you got to replace a couple of key pieces. You got Mozzie Smith off to the NFL. You got Mike Morris, who's off to the NFL. Both were first team all Big Ten performers last year. And then when you start to dig a little bit deeper into last year's group, and I'm not being critical, I'm just acknowledging an area where they could potentially improve. You start to dig a little bit deeper into last year's group. It's not that they underachieved. They didn't. I would say that they were they were pretty good, but I would say that the preseason expectations, even though I know they lost a couple pieces the year before, the preseason expectations for the chaos this group could create, I'm not sure they ever quite eclipsed those expectations. Now, can they do it here in 2023? Well, you look at just the bigger picture. There was no player on the team last year besides Mike Morris that eclipsed five sacks. I mean, they just couldn't find that consistent edge presence that they had relied so heavily on two years ago. So hopefully they can get back to that level this year. And you look at kind of the most competitive games, the most competitive, the biggest games for Michigan on the schedule in 2022, Ohio State, Illinois, TCU, there was almost no pass rush whatsoever. They combined for just two sacks in those three games, those being the three biggest games. Now, I wouldn't expect a ton of sacks against Illinois. We know who they are, but either way, to not have any, hardly, against TCU and against Ohio State is something that you've got to think they're going to try to improve upon here coming up this year. So we'll see exactly what happens as it relates to the defensive front and the pressure they could apply. And then finally, the last thing I'm very interested in when it comes to Michigan. How about all the transfer portal additions? They've been very, very good in attracting high-quality personnel 
in the portal the last couple of years. They've really cleaned up. I mean, you think about it this past offseason, you can look down the list of guys that they added. You can make a case that they added seven guys that could immediately impact their roster. Five are likely to start in 2023. So when you have seven guys that are going to contribute heavily, five that are likely in line to start, including three along the offensive line, I would say that's doing some damage on the on in the portal. That's for sure. All right, offensive line, you got Drake Nugent. You got Miles Hinton. You got Ladarius Henderson from Stanford, from, uh, from Stanford and Stanford in the first two, and then, of course, from Arizona State, the final one. So you have three guys that are likely to be plug and play. And you go out and you get A.J. Barner from Indiana at tight end. Now you've really fortified the spot along the line of scrimmage as well. So I think Michigan, those would be three things that I'd focus on heavily. How much can J.J. McCarthy handle? What do they want to see from their transfer portal players? And how do they create a little bit more of an edge along the line of scrimmage defensively? Those are three keys for Michigan as they head into spring football. All right, McElroy. Bold prediction heading into spring. Michigan will beat Ohio State for the third straight year. Fair or unfair? Fair. Tell me this. Now, we just talked about the edge presence for Michigan and the importance to find that, right? Well, Ohio State's breaking in two new tackles. And tell me this. The last couple games against Ohio State, what right now is going to lead to you feeling better about the Buckeyes' chances in 2023? Is it a new quarterback? Is it... Uh, the fact that Ohio State really didn't play very well in each of the last two outings. Is it that Ohio State is going to become more physical this next offseason? Like, I, I don't know. I, I really don't know these things. My question to you, though, I know Ohio State might have a higher ceiling and Ohio State in their last performance might have looked better than Michigan did. But either way, Michigan's won two in a row and they haven't been super competitive. So, yes, I think true. I think Michigan is the team to beat heading into 2023, just based on what we've seen and based on the key pieces they have returning. All right, moving on to the Auburn Tigers. They start spring practice today. Hugh Freeze trying to implement this new identity, this new culture, this new offensive philosophy, this new defensive philosophy, and trying to do so over the course of 15 spring practices. It makes sense that Auburn would probably try to start a little earlier. Starting on February 27th, pretty early, especially as far as the SEC is concerned. Now, things that are of the highest priority for Hugh Freeze in year number one. Spring football, number one, right? <laughs> I think the biggest thing that they have to figure out, people are going to say quarterback, people are going to say offensive line, people are going to say defense. To me, it's wide receiver. Because I look at Auburn's wide receiver core the last couple of years, and I have been left feeling a little bit uninspired by the personnel that they've had on the outside. And remember, it's been quite a while. I mean, quite a while since Auburn's had a complete takeover the game guy at wide receiver. Was it Duke seven, eight years ago? Was it Seth Williams at times? Yeah, there were some moments where he looked like he could be that guy, but it wasn't ever really strung together and just think about where college football is nowadays let's you know what let's not limit it exclusively to college football let's go to the nfl think about the nfl and the importance of having dynamic weapons on the perimeter think about what 
the Cincinnati Bengals decided to do when they were sitting there on the clock. They had the choice between Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell. And remember, Joe Burrow had just blown out his left knee about five, six, seven months earlier. They decided to go with the wide receiver. Why? Because having crazy amounts of weapons on the field at once puts more strain on the defense than having unbelievable protection. So I think that when you look at where Auburn's at, one position group in which they have not been high quality in a while is at wide receiver. They got to sort that out. Who's it going to be? Because you might be able to tell me that it's going to be Landon King. You might be able to tell me it's it's going to be, you know, the 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 newcomer uh, at, at tight end, Fairchild. But you might be able to tell me all, all those guys are now going to step right in and be complete difference makers. I can't answer that. I'm hoping they can. And if you look at Hugh Freeze's tenure at Ole Miss and his time at Liberty, he's had really dynamic playmakers at the skill positions. He's got to identify those guys. And if he can't do it this spring, they're going to have to be super aggressive in the transfer portal throughout the course of the summer. The good news is wide receiver is a position where guys can quickly get disgruntled. And I wouldn't be shocked if there are some high profile wide receiver prospects in the portal about seven, eight weeks from now. So going to be very important for him to establish that pecking order. Where do they go? And if for whatever reason, he doesn't feel confident in the group that they have, do they go and make a few new additions? The next thing I'm concerned about for Auburn as of right now, quarterback position. Now, I think they're actually in pretty good hands. I'm not sure that you go in the direction of Robbie Ashford. You go in the direction of Holden Geringer. You go in the direction of T of, of TJ and any of those guys. I think TJ Finley, you go with any of those guys. I think you're going to be in pretty good shape. I really believe that. Now, part of the reason why I believe that is because I look at Hugh Freeze's track record with quarterbacks and it's actually pretty dang good. I've seen him win big games with Bo Wallace. I've seen him win huge games with Chad Kelly. I've seen him do things with a quarterback that might not have crazy skill set, crazy potential, and yet those guys still played really well within the system. Now, the system's been adjusted and it's been adapted and it's been tweaked. But either way, you look at the system, it's been very friendly to quarterbacks for years. Can't imagine why that would change now that he's back in the SEC. So regardless of who the quarterback is, divvying the reps up however you want to divvy them up, finding a guy is not paramount, but limiting it from three to two, I think is the utmost importance. Because if you're still splitting the reps three ways in fall camp, you're going to have a tough time. I just think at that point, right now, three guys, they're going to distribute the reps evenly. When it comes to July, August, and obviously September, if it's more than two, I think you're wasting reps. They got to figure that out and figure that out very, very quickly. And then finally, you're going to find this ironic because if you look at Auburn's question marks, they're all on the offensive side of the football, and that's what Hugh Freeze has traditionally done best. You look at Auburn's offensive line, they have been a huge issue the last couple of years, whether it be by injury, a lack of talent, a lack of productivity. They have got to solidify that group. Now, they've been aggressive in the portal. They've gone out. 
They've gotten Avery Jones from East Carolina. He's probably going to be a plug and play guy at center. You go out, you get Dylan Wade. He's going to step in, likely be a factor at tackle. You go out and you add a couple other pieces along the offensive line. I think they've done a pretty good job of addressing it via the portal, but who plays where? That's it. That's what I need to figure out. Who plays where? They had guys that started last year. Are they going to still be a factor or are they going to be relegated to second string or swing position? Something that we will figure out. So I think figuring out the offensive line don't have to have it solidified, not in April, but having it kind of having a general understanding of what it should look like here heading into fall camp would be super beneficial for Hugh Freeze in his first spring. All right, bold prediction for Auburn heading into spring. They will finish with under two and a half SEC wins. Fair or unfair? I think that's unfair. Uh, this year, Auburn has Vanderbilt on the schedule. We'll talk about Vandy in a minute. They've gotten better. Auburn has a home game against Ole Miss, and they have a home game against Mississippi State. Okay, those are the three that they absolutely have to have. Because, hey, we know this. Winning in Jordan-Hare is not an easy thing to do. A road trip to Arkansas, that game's been a little bit tricky. They've had success in Fayetteville, but it's no guarantee that they'll be able to do so this year. I think that's a winnable game, but it's not one that I would pick them to win here in the preseason. But at Vandy, got to have it. Mississippi State at home, Mississippi State in a little bit of transition, but still should be pretty good. Probably a bowl team at the very least here in year number one for Zach Arnett. They got to go on the road into their place. You got to win and protect the home field. Road trip to AM, I think it's going to be a tough one. I think AM is going to be a lot better this year, and it's early in the season. A lot of AM's young players is going to be really hot, all those other aspects of it. I think AM is a tough place to go get a win. Georgia at your place, probably not going to happen. At LSU, probably not going to happen. So you got to protect the home field. So I think two and a half, putting it right there, is about right because it's going to really hinge on whether or not you take care of both Mississippi schools there in Jordan-Hare. All right, more teams getting underway here in the next few days when it comes to spring practice. The Houston Cougars, of course, huge spring for them, moving from the AAC into the Big 12. It's not the first time that Dana Holgerson has done this. Remember, he led West Virginia into a new league back in 2012. Now he gets the opportunity to do so yet again. Now it's going to be pretty interesting because he went out and he did accumulate some Big 12 talent. Went out and got Donovan Smith, transfer from Texas Tech. Guy's got a lot of upside. Will he be the starter day one? Something we'll find out. How about West Virginia tight end Michael Laughlin? He's a pretty good player as well. A guy that can contribute in the passing game. You go out and get Oklahoma State wide receiver Stephon Johnson. That's a nice addition. And you go out and get Ogwebu from Oklahoma at linebacker. So they've already done a pretty good job in the portal. But you look at probably more than anybody else, their success in year number one is probably going to hinge on whether or not Donovan Smith is the answer at quarterback. That's what I want to find out more than anything else. Dana Holgerson's really good, I think, when it comes to creating opportunities for his quarterbacks. He understands strengths. He understands weaknesses. And he knows how to feature wide receivers to get them favorable matchups. Who's going to be the guy that they have to win with now that Nathaniel Dell is off to the NFL? 
that's a question they'll have to figure out as well. But either way, Houston, I think, poised to be very competitive here in year number one in the Big 12. But when I say very competitive, I mean, I think they can get to seven, possibly eight wins, but they're going to have to pull some serious upsets and they better hope that Donovan Smith is a dude at quarterback. The Kansas Jayhawks will also open up their spring practices this week. Going to be interesting to see what Lance Leipold does for an encore. Not a lot of people talking about Kansas heading into last season, and they, of course, took the world by storm. When you look at what comes back, too, that should be very exciting for the Jayhawk nation. You look at all this. You bring back 17 offensive and defensive starters from the 2022 season. Of course, this was the first time Kansas reached a bowl game since 2008, and there are some real expectations that they could take an even more significant step here to repeat what they did last year. We all know that Lance Leipold did a pretty good job of being able to identify opportunities in the portal. A couple of guys that might be able to contribute, but the recruiting class in general People are listening when Kansas is making their pitch, which is the first time that's happened in quite a while. They also might, you could make a case, who returns a better quarterback room in the Big 12 than the Kansas Jayhawks? Now, you might think that someone else, maybe you think Texas with Arch and with Quinn Ewers because of the upside. Sure, but as far as established college-level starters, Tell me a team in the Big 12 right now that has more returning productivity at the quarterback position than the Kansas Jayhawks. Now, there might you can make a case. I'm not saying that they're, they're by far and away number one, but you can make a case that Kansas has the most experience because they'd only have just Jalen Daniels, who, of course, was really, really good prior to hurting his shoulder. But Jason Bean, who he did have some ups and downs. He's a backup for a reason. But... He played pretty well, Jason Bean did, in giving them a chance against TCU when Jalen Daniels went down with the injury. Of course, you look at the numbers as a whole, even though Daniels missed a ton of time, 18 touchdowns against just four interceptions while rushing for over 400 yards and seven scores on his own. And you can make a case, his best moments came in the game, especially in the final quarter, if you will, against Arkansas in the bowl game. So I think Kansas... The floor now, with what they return, should be a bowl game here in 2023. All right, since we talked Kansas, why don't we just slide over to a rivalry that should be renewed? Maybe it will be at some point when cooler heads prevail. Let's go over to Missouri. Now, February 28th, start date for the Missouri Tigers as things get underway here in the spring football world. For Eli Drinkwitz here, this year's pretty obvious. You got to figure out what your quarterback situation is going to look like. All right. You have a handful of guys that are vying for the position. Now, Brady Cook is the incumbent. But if you look at just how things went for Brady Cook last year, there were some bright moments. There really were. But there also were some disappointing efforts as well. And statistically across the board, he ranks towards the bottom of the SEC as far as statistical productivity. He also loses pretty key piece in Lovett, who's now playing for the Georgia Bulldogs. So he had a really solid supporting cast when it comes to weapons, and it just wasn't super consistent there at quarterback. The good news is you look at what comes in. There are a handful uh, 
of quality pieces that are vying for it. You bring in Jake Garcia, who's a transfer from Miami. He started a game last year against Virginia, kind of up and down, but he's got a ton of arm talent, was a top 25 prospect just a couple years ago when he came out of high school. So the upside is immense. And then on the other side, you got Sam Horn, who might be the guy if for whatever reason, Cook stumbles or Garcia stumbles. We'll see. But a three-way quarterback derby, and like we talked about with Auburn just a little bit, you can't continue to separate reps three ways heading into fall camp. You got to narrow that competition down to two when you get into the summer, in my opinion, and then ultimately when you get into the fall. Those reps are so valuable in the fall, and to split them three ways would be doing yourself and your team a disservice. And finally, teams that will be getting underway here in the next couple of days, the Vanderbilt Commodores. What can we expect from Vandy here in 2023? They did a pretty good job down the stretch. You look at Vandy, how they played in November compared to how they played early on. They were a completely different team. You got to give Clark Lee a ton of credit for the improvements that the team made. And then to compound the excitement there in the Music City, to finish 32nd nationally with High school players, as far as their uh, recruiting ranking is concerned, Clark Lee's got it going a little bit. Not saying that they're going to all of a sudden compete in the SEC East, but Vandy has been the perennial you know, pebble in the boot. They're just annoying to deal with when they're at their best. They can knock off anybody and have in the past with good, sound, physical football. One thing that you should be pretty excited about is A.J. Swan's return at quarterback. He did a really nice job down the stretch. Will likely continue to do a nice job as he continues to get more comfortable. They got to figure out a way to continue to apply pressure along the defensive line. That's what Darren Agu and B.J. uh, Diakite, if those two guys can continue to apply pressure, that will help. An awful lot. They have a bunch of guys that played last year that were true freshmen. Now they're true sophomores. How big will that leap be? If it's as big as I anticipate it being, who knows? Maybe it's possible that Vandy could get back to the postseason for the first time in quite a while. All right, the GOAT. It's always synonymous with our discussion. Look, we all have been in those arguments. Hey, you know, he's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. He's the GOAT. Well, a panel of experts has decided to put together a list of the GOAT stadiums and venues all throughout the sports world. And I'm going to go through this list. And collectively, we can discuss it here for a moment on the backside. We will. Number one, Yankee Stadium in the Bronx, New York. Wow. Number two, the Roman Coliseum. I'll give you the Roman Coliseum. Number three, Madison Square Garden. They're in New York City. Not bad. Good spot. No denying that. Fenway Park comes in at number four. At number five, oh my goodness, a college football venue. LA Memorial Coliseum. Really? The number one stadium in all of college football? Are you kidding? Number six, Wembley Stadium in London. Never been there. Can't comment. Number seven, Kaminsky Park in Chicago, Illinois. Seriously? Number eight, Wimbledon. You're telling me Kaminsky Park is better than Wimbledon? All right. Number nine, the Astrodome, Houston, Texas. Not exactly my favorite stadium. I'm from Dallas. Not huge on Houston. Either way, 
And number 10, the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'll say this. I love Peyton Manning, one of my favorite players of all time. In my list of college football and pro football players, he'd be up in the GOAT conversation. This is the worst list I've ever seen in my life. I'm not exaggerating. It's the worst list I've ever seen. If you're going to sit there and you're going to tell me right now that Kaminsky Park in Chicago is better than Wimbledon, I've heard all I need to hear. And if we're going to talk about stadiums and things like that, really, the L.A. Coliseum, that's number one as far as college football is concerned. How about, you know, good choice as far as city is concerned? But maybe we go north just a little bit and check out this place called the Rose Bowl, man. The San Gabriel Mountains. As it sets and the beautiful sunset and the, just the way it just lights up the sky, you're going to really have the Memorial Coliseum. I know it hosted the Olympics like 40 years ago, but come on. Are you joking? I could name 20 college football stadiums that are better than the LA Coliseum. I get the history and I appreciate the history. And look, I love calling USC games from out there too, but come on. Really? It's the worst list I've ever seen. Yankee Stadium? The new Yankee Stadium? Fenway is better than the new Yankee Stadium. What about Camden Yards? What about all these other great spots to go watch games? Like, I don't know, man. How about the fact that Kaminsky's on there and Wrigley's not? What are we doing? All right. Conversation that we can have at a different point, and we will. I can assure you of that. Thank you so much for being with us today. It's been awesome. We really appreciate you interacting with us. And by the way, letting me just go off on my tangent about this top 10 list. It's literally atrocious. But I digress. Uh, sometimes we have to veer just a little bit outside the college football lane because I feel like I need to defend some of the great venues that feature college football. And the fact that they weren't represented on this list is really disappointing to me. So I appreciate you allowing me just to just be mad for a moment. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. We'll continue to preview all these spring practices that are getting underway. We'll ask questions. We'll hit bold predictions. We'll talk about competitions and we'll continue to coldly encapsulate you in the college football uh, silo, if you will, because there's so much going on in sports. College basketball is getting ready to enter tournament season, but don't worry. We're still here for you when it comes to your college football coverage for all of us here at always college football for jack foster and mark kubiak i'm greg mcelroy we hope you have a wonderful day and remember it's always college football hey guys it's greg mcelroy thanks for watching always college football make sure you like rate and subscribe to espn's youtube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts